Hi, this is Steve Nerlick. Why, 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 why cheap astronomy? Yeah, why? And this is Dear Cheap Astronomy, episode 84. Well, not really. Here at Cheap Astronomy, we sometimes get questions where we've just got to say, well, not really. But there's often an interesting story as to why it's not really. Well, hopefully interesting. Dear Cheap Astronomy, If we want a lunar orbiting space station, couldn't we just send the ISS there? Well, we could, but whether it would work is a whole different question. There is a fundamental principle that things are built for purpose. Of course, you can repurpose things, but that's only worthwhile if it makes practical and economic sense. The ISS, the International Space Station, was built for the purpose of orbiting Earth as a science laboratory. A lunar space station is more likely to work as a depot for lunar missions and potentially other space missions. It may still be a science laboratory, but that probably wouldn't be its primary purpose. A lot of the science on the ISS involves Earth observations. On Earth you have weather and oceans and geothermal activity, and we've got complex ecosystems, not to mention a global civilization. So, while the Moon is jolly interesting, which we keep discovering from our orbiting robotic spacecraft, even with a crewed station in orbit, we might not need to observe it with such intensity, nor in as many different ways, as we currently observe the Earth. It's also the case that a lunar orbiting space station will be well outside the Earth's magnetosphere, so it will need additional shielding to protect both the crew and its electronic systems from a level of cosmic ray bombardment that the ISS doesn't have to deal with. Furthermore, the ISS communication systems are only designed to handle two-way communication from low Earth orbit, which is essentially a distance of 400 kilometres rather than the 384,000 kilometres distance between the Earth and the Moon. And the ISS life support systems are based on receiving regular resupply. While a lunar station would also receive regular resupplies, the added distance, travel time and cost means those resupplies might not be as regular or reliable. So to manage that risk, you'd want a lunar station to have a lot more storage and more redundant systems, which means you have a lot more infrastructure that serves a smaller crew. And of course, if you're going to fly the ISS to the moon, you lose an Earth-orbiting space station. There is talk of retiring the ISS in 2030, at least the US side of it, but that's mostly because it's just getting old and needs to be replaced. Given we've already said that a lunar space station is a riskier proposition, being exposed to higher intensity cosmic rays, and it's three days away for resupply or rescue, why add to that risk by using ageing infrastructure that was never meant to operate in that environment anyway? And of course, getting the ISS to the moon is not all that straightforward. There are currently thrusters on board, 
capable of gently raising its orbit by tens of kilometres. If you want to get the ISS to the moon in a matter of days, you would need to apply a much greater amount of thrust, and applying thrust from one point puts stress on the entire structure if it is to move as one unit. It might work better if you distribute that thrust across the whole structure using multiple strapped-on engines. This might also assist in manoeuvring, remembering the Moon is only tilted 5 degrees from an Earth equatorial orbit, while the ISS is tilted 56 degrees. So you not only have to get it to the Moon, but also manage a complex orbital insertion manoeuvre once you're there. In any case, it would probably be best to use only gentle thrusts, meaning the trip would likely take months rather than days. And while maybe all this is technically feasible, there'd be a lot of testing required, using engines that may not be available off the shelf, and to keep those engines fuelled, you need to either carry the fuel with you, which means more mass and structural stress, or you need resupply craft to keep the ISS fuelled up throughout its journey. The alternative to all that is to build on existing, or at least planned, lunar mission platforms. So a heavy lifting rocket like the SLS or the Falcon Heavy could launch brand new modular components of a lunar station, getting them to lunar orbit in a matter of days, where they could be subsequently put together by a crew that has flown there with them. While we couldn't do this tomorrow, there are at least existing funded programs that have those specific objectives. You couldn't fly the ISS to the moon tomorrow either, and such a high-risk strategy would divert attention and resources away from what is currently the main game plan in getting back to the moon. While the whole Artemis lunar program does still mostly look like a mission on paper, it is at least that much. This is the middle bit. To be fair, you really could fly the ISS to the moon. It would be quite an engineering challenge, and whether it would arrive in one piece is another matter, and it's unlikely it would be of any functional value to anyone. But, okay, you could theoretically do it. And now, here's another question with the answer, well, not really. But once again, we managed to drag that out for a whole five minutes. Dear Cheap Astronomy, Could bacteria have hopped aboard the Venera probes and seeded Venus's atmosphere? So, as you may have heard, there's phosphine in them there clouds of Venus, and the astronomical community is cautiously excited, but also ready for a gentle letdown if it turns out not to be such a big deal after all. The apparent big deal is that phosphine is produced on Earth by anaerobic bacteria in substantial quantities, and it's not otherwise produced in substantial quantities on Earth by non-life processes. So, prima facie, the Venus finding is interesting, but we've known for a while that phosphine is also produced on Jupiter and Saturn, where it's never been considered to be produced by life. Instead, it's generally accepted that the ongoing synthesis of phosphine in the gas giants is because of the enormous energies generated 
in the massive convective storms in their atmospheres. But hang on, since when did Venus not have an energetic atmosphere? It has a surface atmospheric pressure, 90 times that of Earth, and a lead-melting surface temperature of 465 degrees Celsius. Venus doesn't rotate fast, unlike Jupiter and Saturn, where their fast rotation generates powerful lateral convection forces in their atmospheres. But we do know there's a super-rotation of the upper Venusian atmosphere due to atmospheric cycling from the hot sunlit side to the cold dark side. And there's also a lot of vertical convection from the hot surface upwards, all of which we know drives some pretty substantial hurricanes across the planet. And the phosphine chemistry of Jupiter and Saturn also has a photochemical component. So it's not just about their atmospheric convection energies, but also about photons. And Venus's upper atmosphere is exposed to a lot more photon flux than Jupiter or Saturn's, given it's the second rock out from the Sun. So yep, once again, cheap buzzkill astronomy enters the debate and smothers all optimism with its whining negativity. Okay, there's phosphine, but just because no one knows now of a non-life process that could produce it, it's quite possible we'll identify one through further investigation. So, jumping to the conclusion that therefore it must be life is a bit of a stretch. But what the heck, this is where we add our own wild speculation. Could it be that the phosphine on Venus is actually the product of bacteria from Earth that got there aboard one of the Venera probes. The first Venera probe to enter Venus's atmosphere was Venera 3 in 1966, followed by various landers with varying success up until Venera 14 in 1982. And after that, there were the two Vega balloon missions where balloons were floated in the upper cloud layers of Venus for at least two days until the batteries ran out, and they may have stayed floating much longer than that. So it's entirely plausible that we could have infected Venus's atmosphere with earth bugs, but whether transplanted earth bugs could survive and reproduce on Venus is a whole nother thing. The phosphine on Earth comes from anaerobic bacteria, but most anaerobic bacteria are not extremophiles. Anaerobic bacteria mostly like warm and moist environments, such as in your intestines. If you transferred all the species of anaerobic bacteria from your intestines to Venus, they'd probably all die within seconds. If you transferred all the anaerobic extremophiles from a nuclear reactor's cooling pool to Venus, they'd probably all die within seconds, because Venus isn't a nuclear reactor's cooling pool. Earth extremophiles can cope with a lot, but at the end of the day they still need water to grow and reproduce. Of course, there might be a totally alien kind of life that lives in Venus's clouds, but if that life is so different from Earth's, why should we assume that it will still produce phosphine? There's an awful lot of long bows being drawn here. And while we're airing doubts, there is still some doubt about whether we have actually detected phosphine, at least in the levels reported. The Venus data was collected by the James Clark Maxwell Submillimeter Radio Telescope in Hawaii and subsequently confirmed by the Atacama Large Millimeter Submillimeter Array 
in Chile. So the data is very new, certainly deserving of publication, but it still awaits more review and more thought before it achieves general consensus. So as we like to say here at Cheap Astronomy, right now it's probably best just to watch this space. This is the end bit. So, there you go. Venus could have life, but it's such a vastly different environment that any Venusian life would be vastly different from any Earth life. And any Earth life that managed to hop aboard a Venus-bound spacecraft would have just died on arrival, if not before. But that's it for another episode of Dear Cheap Astronomy. If you've got a space science question, or you just want to exude some toxic metabolites, why not write to cheapastro at gmail.com and let us try and give it some atmosphere. Thanks for listening. Steve Nerlich, Cheap Astronomy.